Alright, so we'll start with missiles. All these missiles, missiles, missiles. And this is sort of a collection of stories. But we'll start with the US and the UK firing missiles into Yemen, trying to destroy the Houthis. Will they succeed? Of course they won't. They have no way to they have no way to do that. Bombing campaigns rare are rarely enough to destroy a land-based enemy. Extremely rare, but we, we like to pretend that it's not. We like to pretend that a handful of cruise missiles, you know, precision bombings here and there, and you can destroy an economy, destroy a country. We, we like to believe these things, right? But historically, they are, it's just not true. It's, it's really, really not true. You can never, it, honestly, now that I think about it, I don't think there has ever been a country that has been destroyed exclusively through air power. I don't think that's ever been the case. Now that, I, now that I think about it, no country has ever been exclusively defeated through the use of air power. And we're not even using air power, we're just firing missiles. It's... Um... No. <laughs> no. And it's not even like we're firing enough missiles to where you could even theoretically make the case that you could really destroy the Houthis. Like... You can hit this or that building, right? You can you can cause them some pain. But they're dug in to the urban environment of the northern parts of Yemen where all the people live. The, the economy of Yemen is under the control of the Houthis. Any damage you do can and will be repaired because they have the resources to do so. And we're not dropping enough bombs to where you could make the case that we could destroy them faster than they can rebuild. It's just not the case. And even if you did bomb them back into poverty, uh, specifically the urban environments here, because a lot of places are still in poverty, but even if you bomb them back into the Stone Ages, there's still going to be a Yemen. There's still going to be the Houthis. In fact, they, they can use the bombings that you're conducting to consolidate more power. And the only way you get people like that out of power is with an actual ground invasion, which we're not going to do. So the idea that these missile bombings and these missile strikes, these targeted strikes against the Houthis, the Houthi, Iran-backed Houthi rebels, the Iran proxy, because you always got to throw the Iran proxy in there, just so everyone knows. You know. The idea that you're going to defeat them using purely and exclusively air power is nonsensical and unrealistic and it has never been done in history and even if it could be done we're not using enough bombs to do that now theoretically it could be done right it, it could be done you just need a nuclear weapon to do it <laughs> if, if we're going to be brutally honest here you could do it if you use a nuke uh, a nuke but we're not using nukes we're using we're using precision guided missiles and the whole point of precision guided missiles is that you don't have to carpet bomb an entire city to destroy what you're trying to destroy but you're not going to collapse a government that way it just that's just not in the cards you're not going to overthrow the houthis uh, especially a military junta which is effectively what the the houthis are you're not going to topple a military junta with milit with exclusively air power that's just that, 
the more I, you know, lay this out, the, the less I be- even think of the possibility that it's like, okay, you just can't do it. You have to have boots on the ground, get close in with the enemy and forcibly compel him to peace. Peace by way of surrendering to you. That's never going to happen. You, you're, you're, that's never going to happen if all you're doing is pinprick attacks with a missile here and a missile there. Nothing's going to happen here. Now, you can make the case, oh, they're going to bomb the, the missiles that the Houthis are using to harass ships. Well, okay. But what about the drones that they can get from literally anywhere? What about those? Oops. As a matter of fact, they can they, they can make... Because the... A lot of these drones are going to be really, really low tech, like an RC car, but with a bomb strapped to it, like uh, effectively a flying IED is what they is what they can make. You're not stopping that. You can't stop that. It's too low tech. It's too easy. There's no stopping that with not with multi-million dollar missiles. You're not. Again, the only way you could stop that is to have boots on the ground to forcibly compel the Houthis to leave the facilities with which they have these missiles and these drones to actually take territory and rob them of the control uh, where they in areas where they have these weapons. Because if you have all these weapons, it's going to be really hard to move them. So if you put boots on the ground, and this is not me advocating for boots on the ground, mind you. This is just, if we're being realistic and you were actually trying to deal with the Houthis, you would need a ground campaign. That ground campaign would still be a terrible idea, and we'd still probably lose <clears throat> in the end. But if you were serious, you'd be talking about a ground campaign. You'd at least be talking about it. It's a terrible idea because Yemen is a very mountainous country, and the Houthis are very adept at fighting in the mountains. I'll leave it there. Uh, case in point in Afghanistan, the Houthis would be every bit as adept at fighting us in the mountains as the, the Afghans were. Precisely because they've been fighting in the mountains for a decade in their own civil war. There's The only way you're going to be able to topple the Houthis by force, if you are an outsider who isn't, say, Arabia, is with a ground campaign into Yemen. But the, the ground campaign into Yemen is going to be a debacle because the Houthis will be ready for you, and they're very well armed and very well uh, trained and experienced on fighting people in the mountains. So, th- the conditions for a successful ground campaign would simply not be met. But you need the ground campaign to defeat the Houthis. So, all this is a very long way of saying. This is going that this missile bombing campaign. Oh, we're doing so much to protect freedom of shipping and freedom of the seas and the Red Sea. All that is just a bunch of talk, and nothing meaningful is actually going to happen from this. Expect nothing meaningful to happen. We're still going to be talking about this blockade for months, and nothing that the U.S. and the U.K. do with our warships over there is going to change this. Because notice we have not successfully forced the straits because we have no way to deal with the drones. Oops. You're just going to throw missiles at them. Okay, well, they can throw a drone back, bomb another container ship, and now you get right back to square one. 
nothing changes and you have no way of shooting down these drones fast enough for them to to stop using them now there uh, there was this one story i saw where the, the uk claims to develop this uh, advanced missile not missile this advanced laser system designed to shoot down drones now this is one way that i have theorized you could possibly deal with a drone swarm and that's with uh massed lasers where you just have a lot of lasers uh moving in different directions to be able to counter all the drones and technically we have the technology to make that possible and the way i sort of envision it, it think of like a disco ball except instead of like basic bitch uh lights it, they're all lasers moving in different directions tracking different targets and we have the technology to make that happen it's just, it would just be very energy intensive because how do you supply the energy for the lasers because you, you'd have to the lasers would have to act and work very quickly to be effective you can't sit there and oh we're going to keep the laser on a moving target for a minute before it catches fire well that'd be very inefficient and very ineffective it'd have to be oh the, we have the laser on the target for six seven seconds and then it catches fire okay that would be effective now the british are claiming to have something similar to what i've described to you here it is not going to make its way onto the battlefield anytime soon because it's still experimental. But it is worth mentioning for you know the future of warfare as we watch the Houthis revolutionize the usage of drones in warfare. The Russians as well, although in a more uh, land warfare-based context, where the drones are used not as much for kamikaze drones because they have they just have an abundance of missiles, so they really don't need to do that. Uh, but more so in a reconnaissance role where you use drones, unmanned vehicles, you let those take the risk of being shot out the sky by enemy air defenses. And while they're up there, you can get perfect re real-time readouts on enemy troop positions, enemy movements. You can see where they are and you can relay that information through your, you know, your chain of command digitally speaking so you can get really accurate artillery fire on those positions and missile fire as well really lethal it has increased the lethality rates of artillery in modern warfare 70 percent of the deaths have caused have been caused by artillery and they're using the drones to augment effectively augment the artillery that's the revolution in drone warfare that the russians are doing the houthis are revolutionizing ways in which you can use a, a drone uh and they're using drones for a naval blockade without a navy and that's just really impressive but the brits claim to have a potential solution to this i've theorized that something like that might be a solution where it's going to take a good while before we ever get a, like a real test or something like that uh but alas i thought it was interesting so that's uh sort of part one of this segment which is all the the, the uk and the us firing missiles into yemen why it's not going to work and why we're still going to be talking about this blockade for the foreseeable future because we have no way of stopping it when i told you uh what a month ago now almost two months ago when i told you that nobody can stop these people i meant it i meant and it, it probably seemed really really um uh bold of me to say at the time oh what america can't stop the houthis britain can't stop the houthis. this whole coalition uh, nobody can stop the houthis they're just gonna be able to fire drone i don't believe that that's probably that's probably what you said and you know you should be right to say that 
But here we are. I told you. No one's can, no one can stop these people. No one has the ability to. It's it's just beyond the capabilities of the people who technically have the capability. Like Iran, Arabia. But Iran has no incentive to even try. And Arabia has already failed. Remember, they were participants in uh, the civil war that the Houthis were in. Because Yemen is technically still in a civil war, but the Houthis have consolidated their position so greatly that they can now afford a foreign war with the entire world's shipping while still technically in a civil war. No No one can stop these people. The other side of that civil war can't stop them. Saudi Arabia can't stop them. Uh, Iran, Turkey, Pakistan, these regional powers who are close enough to be able to technically do something, they have no incentive to stop them. Turkey's too far away. Iran is, for all intents and purposes, too far away, and they have no incentive to do so. Pakistan wants nothing to do with this. India, they're not going <laughs> to do anything about this. The Chinese... I brought up the possibility that we could try to get them on our side with this anti-piracy coalition. But the Chinese ships are now sailing through uh, unmolested, so they have no incentive to do anything either. Russia, their ships can sail by. They have no incentive to do anything. And America, well, we've been fighting the Houthis alongside uh, Saudi Arabia and the other side of that civil war. I keep forgetting what their name is. I'll eventually learn it just so that we can forget it later on because the Houthis have clearly won. But we've been siding with the Arabians and the uh, the other side of that civil war, and we still haven't beaten the Houthis. There was just no indication that we were ever going to be able to stop these people. And here we are. No one can stop them. No one can stop these people. And... I'm kind of shocked, but at the same time, I saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, oh my goodness, nobody actually is able to stop these people. And and here we are. It's, uh, again, it's it's impressive. Not just the revolutions in drone warfare, but just how helpless everyone else is. Like, really think about this. These are, these are randoms. <laughs> these are a bunch of randoms who live in the mountains, uh, single-handedly strangling global trade with drones, using drones to win a naval war when they have no navy. It's, they're going to go down the history books. They've already earned their place in history, world history, not just like local regional history, world history. Because people, smart people, are going to be taking notes about this. How did they do that? How did they get away with it? Why was nobody able to stop them? And that's going to be a question asked by historians for who knows how long. Why was nobody able to stop the Houthis? (laughs) Because the people who technically could stop the Houthis had no incentive to do so. And all the people who could stop the Houthis, all the people who couldn't stop, all the people who lived next to the Houthis had no ability to stop them. Saudi Arabia, Oman, the UAE, Ethiopia. 
Djibouti, Sudan, oops, they're in a civil war. Nobody who lives next to these people have the ability to stop the Houthis. And nobody who has the ability to stop the Houthis uh, has an incentive to do so. It's very, very impressive. In in a, a, the negative way, because <laughs> I am... <coughs> The longer this goes on, the higher and higher uh, prices for consumer goods and other goods are going to go up. And I have a feeling that we are on the cusp of really feeling that because, mind you, this blockade has only gone on for, what, two months. As we as we go deeper into 2024, the longer this blockade goes on, the more the rest of us normal people are going to start to feel the effects of what they're doing. And then the helplessness sets in even further because now it's oh my goodness we are our standard of life is dropping it's slipping it's fading away and we have no ability to do anything about it because the people we have no ability to do anything about the people responsible it's it's crazy it's crazy but i'll digress we're gonna move on we're gonna move on and talk about iran and pakistan because they have also been firing missiles at one another uh, Iran and Pakistan, they they exchanged missiles along their border region, right? And we saw, it, it reminds me a little bit of how after the, the Taliban came back to power in Afghanistan, how there were those skirmishes between Afghanistan and Iran and between Afghanistan and Pakistan over where <laughs> exactly the border was. <laughs> and, uh, but eventually those died down. But here we have missiles being fired on both sides, rockets being fired on both sides. Now, this is most likely Iran firing at militias, right? Because they're not going to fire on the Pakistani military. They're not going to do that. And the Pakistanis aren't going to fire on the Iranian military. They're not going to do that. They're not. These are not barbarians, brainless barbarians. No, it's probably militias, very, very local peoples getting in, getting into it with other local peoples who happen to be across the border. Because when you get to this part of the world, it's a lot more tribal. I'm not talking about Iran and Pakistan as, as entire countries, but I'm talking about mountains, the mountain tribesmen. But literally, in this, in the literal sense, mountain tribesmen, it's their entire world is much more locally based, and not so much uh, nationally based. Oh, it, uh, that's the Pakistanis. These we're Iranians, and it's it's a lot more. This is our tribe. That's their tribe. They did this to us, so we're gonna we're gonna retaliate. That appears to be closer to how this came about, and it just escalated to the point where the governments are getting involved because uh, you <laughs> cross border raids. This is probably gonna be de escalated over time. I, I don't see Iran and Pakistan just sitting there, uh, <laughs> actively ruining relations with each other especially at this current moment in time. But there is the possibility that this escalates. There's the possibility. I think it's a very low possibility, but there's a possibility. Because again, it did escalate to the point where missiles were fired. We will see what happens here but uh, this is again one of those wait and see things we don't really have much to go off of but i it was a very interesting story 
And last but not least on this little segment where we're talking about missiles just flying everywhere, we have Iran again, Iran again, but this time firing missiles westward rather than eastward because Pakistan's to their east. They're firing westward missiles into Iraq of all places, but they're not bombing the Iraqis. They fired missiles and they reportedly hit a Mozad base that was in Iraq. They hit a Kurdish operations center. It was there's a longer name for it, but it's essentially a, a base operations for Kurdish militants and operating in Iraq. And a number of other targets, primarily looking at logistics for U.S. and U.S.-led coalition forces in Iraq, not necessarily targeting these uh, forces directly, but targeting the logistics. Very smart. <laughs> Now, this is obviously retaliatory. Obviously retaliatory. Uh, now, what are they retaliating for? Remember, about a week or so back, two weeks ago, if I'm going to say, two weeks ago, that attack on uh, the city, I believe it was Kerman. I believe the name was Kerman, but it was a city in Iran where there was a mass gathering of people who were honoring the anniversary of Qasim Soleimani's death. They were honoring him. This wasn't a celebration of his death. It was honoring him and the, on the anniversary of his death. And there was a bomb that went off that killed 100 people and left a lot and left about as many wounded. 100 people died. This is retaliation for that. These strikes into Iran, uh, into Iraq, I should say. These strikes by Iran into Iraq on all these U.S. coalition uh, allies and all the logistics which enable them to stay in Iraq. This is retaliation for that bombing. And, and like I said, that bombing crossed a line. And clearly they have traced, they have traced that bombing back to either Israel or the United States, and I think it's more so the United States, because the, the same way that we, we look at all these militias in Iraq and in Syria, and the way we look at uh, the Houthis as Iran-backed proxies, well, the Iranians and everyone else in the region looks at Israel and all of the uh, coalition forces in Iraq as U.S.-backed forces, because they are. It's sort of the, the, in the mirror image of our own uh, view of this place except we're the ones who are the Iranians and everyone else are our proxies, so to speak. Iran attacked our proxies in Iraq with these missile strikes in retaliation for the bombing in, that killed 100 people. Now, reportedly, and I, I'll put this out there, reportedly, ISIS was responsible for the bombing that killed 100 people. I said right up front, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. ISIS uh, is not like that. They love claiming. They, ISIS loves to claim responsibility for attacks. Even when it's just overtly obvious that they don't have the capacity to do that. Now, in the case of Iran, they potentially do have the capacity to do that. I mean, they, they live in the region. It's not that far away from them. So they technically would have the capacity to get there. I just expressed extreme doubt, especially considering who exactly was being honored here. 
it was because him stole the money. Why would they bomb? Uh, well, or, or what? What reason would they have to bomb a procession honoring his death when they could bomb something else? Quite frankly, and then to kill a hundred people, they kill a hundred people, right? Like, uh, assuming that this is supposedly ISIS, right? Kill a hundred people, and the Iranians bomb the Kurds. ISIS bombs and kills a hundred people in Iraq and Iran. And Iran bombs Mozad, a Mozad facility. It, it just does. The story doesn't match unless it was not actually ISIS who was responsible for this, or at the very least, if the Iranians do not believe that it was ISIS who was responsible for this. And I don't believe it was ISIS either. They've clearly traced that back to us, at least in their in their assessment of this, and they are now striking and retaliating against us. Now this can ask now, unfortunately, this does play into the hands of people who want the war, because now you can use this as a justification for more escalation. Oh look, the Iranians are bombing us in Iraq. We have to retaliate and respond, and you know, e easy money, easy money if you're a warmonger, right? So, but if you're Iran, again, a hundred people just died because of this bombing. You have to respond, even if you are trying to be restrained your policy of restraint is going to get you killed uh, in some cases, literally, but it's going to get you killed politically if you don't have some type of response to a hundred of your people dying. <clears throat> you have to respond in some way or else your policy of trying to contain the conflict and trying to exercise restraint is looked upon as a problem rather than a potential solution. And that would undermine what they're trying to do so they had to respond they responded in this way very indirectly as far as the u.s is concerned but of course people in the united states are looking for a war so this instead of looking at this and going oh well they, they retaliated but they they didn't have the courage to strike us directly no it's oh iran wants a war and so it's going to be used just to pile on to the, the list of things that are going to be used for the justification for war against Iran. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But alas, alas, that's what's happening here. Lots of missiles flying, lots of intrigue, lots of potential war, and lots of saber rattling to try to get a real war. But that's uh, that's those missiles. That's those missiles. That's a lot about Iran. A lot about Iran. We're gonna take a break from Iran for a little bit. We'll kind of come back to them towards the end when we talk about that peace proposal between Hamas and uh, Israel. But take a break from Iran, and now we're gonna talk about NATO. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.